I wish people would believe teachers, whether it's with their stories or what they have to say. And then also knowing that, you know, there's a high rate of burnout. I've said this multiple times. As I look through all the occupations, the value of teachers is very much underappreciated because they're the ones teaching the next generation and raising the next generation. So they should have as much uh, resources as possible to make sure the next generation of Americans, of kids, of next citizens know what they're doing as they come out of uh, come out of public education and live their life to whatever they decide to do. Welcome back to the Purple Political Podcast. My name is Rodell Lewis. I am your host today, and today we have a very interesting topic of discussion. As you guys know, we're here to have discussions, maybe debates, maybe solutions, but at the very end, compromise. Uh, compassion is an important element to because at the end of the day, just because you disagree with someone doesn't mean you have to be toxic and hateful. So today I got an excellent guest um, for me. Her name is Costella. So I'm going to let her introduce herself, introduce what she's about and go, go ahead, go for it. Awesome. Thank you so much, Rodell, for the introduction. So my name is Costella Copeland-Smith. Um, I'm a former educator um, and teacher. Um, I still do a lot of education work with the National Black Cooperative. Um, we're a group that really focuses on flourishing for Black, Indigenous, people of color. I'm also the vice chair for the Town of Windsor Human Relations Commission, where we also focus on having conversations about um, difficult topics and also to bring awareness and advocacy towards local issues within the Town of Windsor. I'm a figure skater. I do. Um, I'm an alum to the University of Connecticut. I'm finishing up my doctorate with Liberty University, and um, I'm sure we're going to dive into a little more. I give little stories here and there, so that's just a little bit about me. Okay, nice, nice. Uh, I used to live in Connecticut. It's a pretty interesting uh, area. Um, were you there? Were you in Connecticut when UConn won for both men's and women's basketball championship? Yes. Yeah. That was an exciting time for Connecticut, considering they don't have any professional teams. But uh, so with that said, um, we got a very interesting discussion we're going to talk about. Um, before we dive into kind of the meat and potatoes and everything, I want to know your general opinions about America's public education system. I think my general opinion is that it it needs to be redone. It is a hot mess for lack of better terms. Like that's the best way I can put it. I used to have a lot of hope for it and I feel like parts of me still have little shards left, but there's just a lot that needs to be done both politically, socially, and academically across all fronts. And I'm sure we're going to get into, as you call the, the meat potatoes, like it's, it, there's a lot of meat and potatoes and some questionable uh, vegetables in there, in the pot. <laughs> fair enough. Fair enough. Would you say, in terms of currently, would you say you prefer private education versus public education as of right now? Um, I think as of right now, it depends on the district. Um, there are some public education schools that are, I think, in my opinion, better than private. But again, it depends on the state. It depends on your town. It depends on the funding. There's a lot of different variables and factors. So I'd have to do research. But specifically in Connecticut, private tends to have more resources and funding. Um, however, I grew up through a public education, so I'm I'm kind of partial to it, especially with the town I'm in. Um, but it, it depends. But I've seen I've seen great qualities in both. 
Yeah, I, I definitely agree. I've I've done mostly public education myself. Um, when I went to college, I did go to a private institution, and I saw the the benefits. And it's kind of laid out in terms of like the biggest issues for public institutions and private education. Certain ones tend to make sure to adhere to those problems and make sure they have the best education for their students. So. As of right now, I fall more in line with private education is better in general terms, but I do agree it definitely depends on what institution you're putting your kids or you yourself is going into. So I want to start off with this. Like uh, One of the interesting topics to have, uh, interesting discussions to have, is education inequality. I, I saw that you know your your program, your group, uh, one of the things that they talked about is education inequality and how it's a problem in America. So um, I want to start off by asking your opinion. What do you think are what do you think about education inequality in general in America, and what do you think are some of the biggest reasons for education inequality in America? Um, I think a lot of the inequality stems from intersecting ideologies of oppression and discrimination. If you look at the history of the United States, we're on stolen land um, from the native and indigenous people. So when you see how they were building schools very similar historically to England and how exclusionary it is, it's basically for the white heterosexual Anglo-Saxon Protestant wealthy male identifying person. And that narrative is still with embedded within the policies and things that we see today. So I think that there's a lot of forms of intersecting oppressions, whether it's racism, classism, genderism, sexism, heterosexism, religionism, ageism, like you can just you keep going all day. Um, so I think that the, those are larger forms of inequalities that are happening within education, as in, in addition to many other spheres as well. Um, and then another part is seeing how policies either impacts that with um, administrative actions or how the teachers take it within their hands themselves. And again, it varies depending on whether you're in a public institution, a private, a charter, or a magnet institution, and whether they, it is um, publicly funded, privately funded, um, for-profit, or non-profit. So lots of variables to consider. I generally agree. Um, there's a lot of things to consider in terms of the issues for education and equality in America. Um, one thing that I want to touch upon in terms of education and equality is the public schools. We want to stick with the public schools because, uh, you know, the pri when it comes to private schools and charter schools, those are much more based on the per persons that are setting up those schools. So in terms of society, they have no say into those situations. Um, you pick what private school you want to send your kid, charter school you want to send your kid, and that's based on your personal ideology. So there's really you can't really do anything about that. Public schools for a matter uh, are a different matter that everybody should have a say in America. We all should have a say in that. Obviously, it's very much incorporated into the government. So when it comes to education inequality, I do agree in general that a lot of the inequalities in, in America obviously stems from um, the past, you know, and how everything kind of built up today. Um, as for today, are you saying, I'm curious, are you saying that the the biggest issues, you mentioned a lot of things like racism, classism, genderism, for example, do you think that the it's mostly identity situations or mostly the fact that these people are in unfortunate situations. And because of that, the systems that the schools that they are in are basically just 
way worse compared to other schools because other people, mainly white people, mainly people who are growing up in suburban areas uh, throughout history, you know, systematically, they had a better opportunity to go to these better schools compared to mostly black people uh, are in these more poor areas and they, for the most part, go to these worse schools. So would you say it's more of a currently it's more of a situation where they're in bad situations or would you say it's more a situation where their identities uh kind of keeping them from better education systems um i i would have to say identity only because it's nuanced you know when, when i'm thinking about identity it's who's who's had access to understanding who they are in this world and the answer is not many because it's an ongoing journey and it's an ongoing process so who i used to be as a high school student as a child how i understood each of my intersecting identities is different, is very different than how I understand myself now. So I first think about that for the students and the teachers and the administrators. And I really think, especially like to this day, like whether it's historically or currently, because historically people would just kind of overlook it and be like, oh, well, your regular student is like a white man. And it's like, well, that's that was the norm back in the day is that black indigenous people of color weren't supposed to be educated, is that they were seen as others and they were they were it was literally put into our legislation with the three like the three-fifths compromise if you look at like all these different policies and actions you can see that that's happening but thinking about how that impacts us today is i think currently there's not enough resources for staff to understand how their identity can connect with other people and i speak directly from my own experience with this because the impact that teachers have not only in crafting like and helping students understand themselves is powerful but if you don't know better how can you do better and if these teachers are are, are taught like oh well identity has nothing to do with it let's just get to the curriculum and you have a student who is literally mentally physically emotionally losing it and you're like how do i help them and you sit down and see them as a whole child as a whole person that is how you have education and that's how you make change one person at a time. So I think currently a lot of this has to do not only with professional development, but with identity development and healing. Cause you can see that there's generational trauma from slavery, from police brutality, from gerrymandering and redlining and how that impacts the way that schools are even set up. So when I think about it, that there's like a lot of healing that needs to happen. And Dr. Maya Akbar, um, a clinical psychologist coined the term urban trauma, which really sums everything up and where she talks about how like all this trauma from way back from the 1700s up to now sometimes even the 1600s when you look back on the actual documents um is that like this is a big issue and it's continuously being unaddressed and it's it's impacting black indigenous students of color but also white students as well look at the amount of shootings that happen to this day and it's it's not just oh a conversation that students of color need to have. It's, it's a community conversation on race, on trauma, on understanding one another and meeting each other where we're at because people don't realize it's like, I can disagree with you, but I don't have to hate you. I don't have to continue that bias, that cycle that, per, that continues to perpetuate oppression and discrimination. It's like, I, I can actively choose to change, but I have to have the resources and the people around me that I choose to, to surround myself with. And sometimes I don't even have that choice. There are communities, they don't, they don't have that choice and that's okay. But like, how can we better that conversation and make learning accessible um, to a wider audience, whether it's students, teachers, staff, 
black people, white people, mixed people, gay, straight, all, all the different kinds. How can we have that conversation instead of saying, well, like, it's not popular to come to an agreement. It's, it's better if I, you know, stoke the fire because this is what's hot, you know, so. That's my thought. That's a lot. <laughs> no, I, I, I understand where you're coming from. I do think there's something to be said in terms of the mental capacity of this newer generation. And you could touch upon the fact that, you know, the generation, generational trauma is an aspect. You also could touch upon the fact with this newer generation, considering technology and social media and the uh, different relational aspects of people nowadays in America is creating um, a lot of mental illness issues for all young people, and they don't know how to deal with that. That is something that you can definitely touch upon. One of the things that I, when I was doing my research about education and quality, I saw like different reasons why education and quality is so bad. One of the things that we, you know, we obviously pro probably agree on is that a lot of these areas where it's majority black people uh, because of like systematic racism is that they're in very impoverished situations so it's hard for them to get out of those situations when we're talking about the institutions themselves public education some of the more interesting some of the solutions needs to be created or needs to address specific problems one of the things they talked about is that a lot of these public educations with these are that in these urban areas impoverished areas one of the big things about it is that these classes these size of schools are very large there's a lot of people the classes are very large there's a lot of people so in terms of uh one of the solutions is that we need smaller classrooms smaller uh, classes but even that's very tough so one of the biggest solutions that people recommend is better teachers i know you mentioned earlier that we need more aware teachers in general more educated teachers because a lot of these teachers that are just graduated from like school they are sent to these areas they don't really have experience and there's force in areas where they don't have the experience to know how to deal with these kids while also being forced to kind of be a newbie and teach kids that inherently some of them a good number of them probably want to learn but then others do not so for when it comes down to it, what is the singular, I know you mentioned a lot of things, but w what do you think is the first thing that we should touch upon in terms of bettering these uh, public institutions? Is it the classrooms? Is it the teachers? Or is there something else that you can consider? Um, I think a lot of this has to, there's a lot of moving parts. And I think a part of it is, and I used to think uh, how I conceptualized it was a little different. Um, but I think it's equal parts students, parents, teachers, and the administration, and here's why. The reason why is um, administrators have a responsibility to report to the state, do all this stuff, but the state is pressuring them to act a certain way, which then pressures the teachers, and then that trickles down to the students and parents. So there's that big dynamic going on, where it's like, will I get support as a teacher from my administration? And for some of them, yeah, cool. For most urban schools, you're on your own. It's like you just ju you jumped into an ocean full of sharks willingly. Like, or maybe you didn't know. Like, all these new teachers are just like, I did not know I had to tread water, like fend off the sharks and teach a class for eight subjects. Like, what did I sign up for? You know, so there's that dynamic. Then there's the teacher's dynamic. Sure, you can be qualified. I, I know I graduated from NEAG and this is great, um, which is a, a great school for education. 
but I wish I was trained on conflict management, on the, not just for teachers and administrators, but for students, teaching them hard skills, emotional skills, teaching cultural intelligence, whether it's my own learning or for my students. Also being an advocate. That's something where like advocacy, like you need to stand up for yourself and for your students because there will be so many barriers. So I think there's the teacher component. The parent component is accountability. There is no discipline, or I should not say no, but there's very little discipline for student misbehavior. I'll give you an example. For other schools, I've taught at a lot of different schools, and one of the schools I taught at, um, a, a kid you would hit you with a chair and nothing would happen. Nothing. You will have bruises, you will have, some people had to get stitches and then come back the next day. Nothing happened. Just the, the, the kids like, oh, well, you know, I had an outburst, this is that, da, da, da. And then you just move on, like nothing happened. So there's no accountability from the parents or the school. And then also to the students, there's, there's this whole notion of, oh no, I don't wanna traumatize them by telling them no. Oh no, I don't want them to have a negative experience so that you know they'll develop mental health problems. But guess what? By not allowing them to learn from their mistakes, from their experiences, we're feeding the mental health problem. And that's something that no one's really talking about, or at least not talking about enough, is that there's not enough discipline and accountability. And that has to be triangulated with students, teachers, and parents. All have to be on the same page, where the teachers used to be like, look, like this is what's going on. Parents, I need your support. Parents from like the 80s and the 90s would be like, yep, got you, got my kid. We're gonna get this straightened out. But then a shift happened in the early to mid 2000s where all of a sudden everything's always the teacher's fault, even if it's from an angry outburst or a violent outburst from the student. And it's like, hmm, well, I, I'm just letting you know here. And then the parent's saying it's my fault for everything, whether it's whether it, that's true or not. And, and then you try to go to people for help and everyone's like, no, you're fine, keep going. But when it's every day and when you have these large class sizes, and you like it like if you have like a class of 23 25 kids and there's so many needs like each person has so many needs and you're teaching eight subjects and like you're you're coming in early you're staying late you're putting in hundreds of your own dollars just to be told you're not good enough that's the big problem that how can you get teachers to stay when you get treated like that and how mm -hmm. and like don't get me started about teacher trauma but that's a whole other thing because like that's that's the reason why people are leaving like would you want to work in a job like that like where you get you get like physically, emotionally, and verbally like hurt every day. Yeah, I mean, I, I've said it multiple times that teachers are I, the value of teachers is underappreciated, and they get not enough pay. I've said that multiple times. But I want to separate uh, the four things that you mentioned in terms of parents. In terms of the public education system, they can't do anything. They can't tell what the parents what to do. So they have they have no so what the parents are going to do. Um, in terms of the students, um, that is a very interesting question. So um, this is a situation I wanted to uh, ask you. There's a school in the Midwest, and I'm just curious to hear your thoughts on it. There's a school in the Midwest. Recently, they just passed a bill. It's a small area, a very small like townish area. Recently, they passed a bill to reintroduce spanking kids. So, but and they are only allowed to do that with the parents' permission. The parents have to sign a permission slip and go like, okay, now teachers are allowed to do this. I don't know if this stands to eighth, like high school or anything, but I know at the very least it has like elementary school, maybe middle school. I'm not really sure. I don't remember. But 
the school's implementing this system so they can discipline these kids in a way um, to help kind of put them in their place, so to speak. So they're like getting proper punishment. Um, so this is the situation um, to kind of, it makes it interesting based on like, okay, if the parents are not doing, sorry about that, but if the parents are not doing anything, are the teachers supposed to in in this specific situation? So, what do you think about this school allowing or bringing back this system? Obviously, they're doing it with parents' permission. But what do you think about it in general? Um, I think it'd be interesting because I know to your point about the parents can't really do anything at the school for the public level, which is true. But at home, they can do all sorts of things. So again, it's not every parent who will not like do something. Like there, there are some that will take action. It's interesting that you bring up the spanking because that's what sometimes people will do to like you know make sure that a dis- there's a disciplinary action. I think personally, um, uh, like for especially for students for the younger age, I think psychologically it causes a lot of damage, but socially it may be helpful but i think again it depends on each student because there are some students who may respond to that and have a better respect and authority for the teacher and then there are others who will shy away and will cause other issues so i think it really depends on the demographic the culture um like the household culture and also the school culture if it's is it an urban or suburban or rural setting because the three of those settings, even across public schools, let me tell you, they're all very, very different. So I think for some settings it might work and for others it might not, but maybe, I mean, I'm glad that they're trying something new, but I, I think like a, some sort of disciplinary uh, like action or accountability needs to be had in ed- education. Cause right now it's nothing like for some schools, there's just nothing. Okay. Yeah, I was curious on your general thoughts about that, uh, because it, it was an instance of the public education trying to take discipline in their own hands, for example. So let's t- touch upon the three things a little bit more specifically. Um, so you talked about administration and, you know, the administration getting their act together. For the most part, the inter- administration is very much dictated on, like, the public education policies that's going on in their area. So, you know, it's really depending on, like, a, how much funding they're getting, what quotas they have to meet based on like test scores. You know, for example, in Texas, there's something called the STAR test that like every kid has to take and it has to just make sure they equate to the scores and all that stuff. So for you, I'm curious, what do you think the administration should be doing? Especially, it's mostly these urban areas for the education quality. Suburban areas are fine, rural areas, I mean, they they're, they're a bit different but urban areas are the where the education and quality is mostly have because a lot of these impoverished areas are in urban settings for example so what do you think the administration should be doing to kind of kind of mitigate this uh inequality situation yeah i think um before i answer the question i think rural and this is something that people don't talk about as much the data actually shows that rural schools do worse than urban schools in some areas. That, that if, you, if you actually look at all three of them, the news and the people like to politicize and highlight the urban schools and this and that. And why, why, like, while I do agree that there's a lot going on with urban schools, the rural schools get left behind. They get forgotten about. They get the 30-year-old textbooks that people don't look at anymore. Um, there's a lot of other issues. So I think depending on what state you're looking at, there are some rural schools that are actually more impoverished and treated more 
in like in, with with like more inequality because of where they're located and that has to get into the geopolitics um, and social aspects. So I just wanted to highlight that. But also, regardless of the geographical location for urban, suburban, or rural, um, the administration, I think, needs to do more socially and not be driven as much by the politics. And what I mean by that is, like, everyone, a lot of the uh, people that I see nowadays are like, oh, well, like, we got to get this money so we can, like, fund this and then this. And I was like, and yes, I agree, we need that money. But at the same time, you need to address these students where they're at. Like, if you expect that we have an increase of neurodiverse and physically disabled kids, then, and you want to have, like, these high test scores, but then that test is different than the standard test, and then you, like, there's, just, like, you know what I'm saying? Like, a lot of these variables don't really antiquate to showing their growth, their strength, their, their emotional and academic intelligence. The tests aren't really serving, like, what they actually know. So when you look at it, I'm like, okay, so we have a metric that is failing our students, yet we use that to help with our funding and money. And why have we not changed the way that we calculate or measure like intelligence and academics? You know what I'm saying? Because a lot of the people out there just think, oh, well, SATs, ACTs, GMATs, GREs, and like all these standardized tests and, and all this stuff and the Common Core and all those things, like that's great. But that doesn't like measure the growth that someone might have from year to year or even from like like kindergarten to fifth grade those tests like some of them like they it just doesn't add up and yet that's where the money's coming in oh well we hit this standard here so like let's keep going and it's like i think it's like you're asking a fish to climb a tree but now it's not just a fish it's a dolphin and it's a shark and we're all in the same district of public schools and it's like did no one say hey can we this tree here is not working at all like did anyone question this or how can we come up with better metrics and that's a lot of, especially within um higher education as well you can find some parallels it's kind of like well we need to maybe reassess and find something whether it's a standardized test or whether it's a project where students can have a project where they um, share what they've learned and then we have a standardized rubric or a standardized something else that's not what we have right now. So that's kind of my thoughts on that. And I think that the administration specifically needs to support the teachers, the community, and the stakeholders who will be big implementers in creating whatever is coming next. Because that's going to be the key is like making sure it's not only we have a convincing argument, but also that, yes, I have your support, knowing that when we push this through, this is for the betterment of our students and our community. and and that that way um people can actually flourish so are you saying the uh, administration should um from what it sounds like the administration should stop focusing on testing but more focusing on the growth of the students is that what it sounds like yes but the hard part is i know as administrators that they have a lot going on and they have to focus on testing because that's where the money's coming in so I think right. this actually has to get to a larger level at the state and the political level as to how are we supporting our students better? Because there's more money going into the military than education. And I'm like, well, there you go. Like, if you look at how we're spending it as a nation and where our values lie, if you compare the United States to China or other countries, their students have phenomenal test scores and how they're like moving on in life and doing all these things. And it's like, if you look in our country, the reason why ours isn't like that is because like, we're not investing we're not investing in the next generation of for their education for the, whether it's emotional physical 
mental, academic. Like we're not, we're not investing as a society. When I say we, I'm talking about a society. We're not investing in them. And that's a part, that's a big part of the issue. So I think at this point it's beyond the administrators. They're trying to do the best they can and bless their hearts, but it's just, it's, it's hard and a change needs to happen. But I think it needs to come from a higher level when you move up from, you know, the, um, the town level then the town council, then the local government, like the governor and the mayors, and then you get to the state and then the federal and then the national level. Yeah. One thing to touch upon that is that, um, a lot of it, it, should be falling upon the people around in the community because a lot of them their voices should be heard in terms of the public education and making sure that these schools are doing what they're supposed to there i do agree in general in terms of like the funding there has been multiple kind of um insinuations that when it comes to public education funding it's not being utilized appropriately and it's not you don't even have to point it all the way to like the military because sure we got a large military and all that stuff but in general the public education the funding that's specifically supposed to go to public education it's been said multiple times that it's not being utilized properly and efficiently and that's a big problem as well so in terms of the administration and generally i agree that they are very much um victims of what our local governments, what our state governments, what our uh, federal government does. Um, with that said, let's touch upon teachers a little bit. So what do you think the teachers should be doing or in regards to teachers in general, what do you think the solution should be in reference to uh, teachers and fixing education inequality? I think for teachers, I think it's like nuanced, but my main thing is I, I, I wish people would believe teachers, whether it's with their stories or what they have to say. And then also knowing that, you know, there's a high rate of burnout and that that burnout is caused by a lot of different factors. And sure, some teachers work harder than others and all that jazz. But I think a part of it needs to come with listening to a teacher when they say, hey, this new curriculum, it doesn't work for my class. Can I modify this to help with this? success, whether it's for the test or, or the concepts. And I think for teachers, it's mainly making sure that their voices are heard because teachers have had to be a lot of different things for their classes. They've had to be like a mentor. They've had to be a friend. They've had to be um, a therapist at some points. And it's like, like, you know, we've had to be all these different things. And of course it depends on each school, but at the end of the day, it's just teachers need more support. And that's where I kind of, kind of slightly disagree with the budget that you're talking about before, because sure, they have a large enough budget and yeah, they need to be spending it better. But a part of it is they're not spending it on um, having a competitive salary. If you look at it, some teachers are not getting paid well, which that's sure a part of it, but also a part of it is then maybe hire more people. Think about the model that you have. Like these budgets right now, sure, they could they could be changed and stuff, but I think that they do need more funding because then you can have a two-teacher model where you have a main teacher and an associate teacher, and then they work together. So the two teachers can then help with a class size of like 25, right? So when you start to look into the nitty-gritties, I think a lot of it is more systematic and a lot of it is at the larger level because people aren't starting to, well, people need to start realizing that there are other models out there. We've had the same model of education for like a long time. The bell system is like synonymous with like the work system and the factories. Homework was used as a punishment. And yet we still have homework for students as like a supplemental thing. But when you look at it, the intentionality of homework 
was a discipline measure, but people lost that history over time. So it's things like that. As a teacher, you have to re, like reevaluate what is needed socially, culturally, but then also academically, because that changes from classroom to classroom. And every year you come in with new students, new needs, new parents, new new things to explore and understand. And I think a lot of the teachers, um, whether you're in a public or rural school, it's not only a matter of access to resources, which yes, funding helps with, but it's also knowing how to use them. Because that's also another big issue within urban and rural schools specifically, is that there's a technology gap. That technology is a big skill that you have to have within the workforce, but also it's a skill that not all teachers are, are brought on board. If you look at some of the teachers who've been there for like 40, 50 years, and they're like, I don't know how to do all this, this technologically savvy things, and you, you want me to do a whole course online, or you need me to prep all the curriculum and everything's online. So making sure that our teachers are adequately um, equipped with the skills that they need, instead of just throwing them in and being like, ah, figure it out. Like some teachers, sure, it'll work. But for others, it's taking that time to invest within their own learning and professional development. So again, a lot of different layers going on. But in general, um, I think that teachers aren't being heard at all. Okay. Well, I, I've said it prior. I agree that the teachers are is a valuable uh, occupation that's not getting enough funding, that's not getting enough pay, it's not getting enough um, support, as you said. Uh, I've said this multiple times. As I look through all the occupations, the value of teachers is very much underappreciated because they're the ones teaching the next generation and raising the next generation. So they should have as much uh, resources as possible to make sure the next generation of Americans, of kids, of next citizens know what they're doing as they come out of uh, come out of public education and live their life to whatever they decide to do. Um, with that said, uh, so it sounds like obviously they need more funding, they need more resources, and in terms of the administration, very similarly. So, do, are you saying? Uh, it sounds like one of the big things for these uh systems public education is that they're not getting enough funding and resources to teach properly um but you did mention something in regards to students in general and parents obviously what the students learn is obviously depending on the teacher's skills and the funding and resources they have but do you think anything should be said to I know you touched upon it a little bit, but you can expand upon it to the students, the parents, and the culture of how students treat teachers, for example. Do you think there's something to be said about the other side of the coin that's not like funded or related, but more on a personal level for the students coming into schools? Yeah, actually, I think that the, the main issue, too, within across like all levels of education and all the different types is that there's a disrespect for teachers whether it's because you're black or because you look young, that perception of who or what you look like is a huge towards students. Um, so I know that there's a general disrespect for teachers being like, oh, my parents said I don't have to listen to you because like, you know, if you offend me in any way, then I don't have to, I don't have to do this. That's what they said. And I'm just sitting here, I'm like, how are you gonna get through life communicating that way? Just imagine if you invited that student here and you had a disagreement, like that's the end of the conversation. Like how do you bridge that gap? 
And that is the issue that many teachers are facing to this day, where it's just like you're trying to communicate with the parents and the students, which, by the way, for some of them, it comes from both. It's like a two package deal where like both student and parent are disrespectful, even though it's like, hey, I've been here a long time. It's like, we don't care. And it's like, oh, okay, like, how do we navigate this? Because I'm trying to educate you, yet you're not willing to walk with me while I'm educating you. So that disrespect is a huge piece. But also there's a sentiment culturally and socially that education isn't really cool and that people aren't investing as much as they used to. So, for example, like back, you know, I speak from my own experience um, back when I was growing up, you know, people were like, yeah, go to college, do this and this. And like, this is why education is important. And because of my parents, like I will I will be forever grateful for my parents. They said, like, your education is, is something that not like no one can take away from you. You can only grow and go up from there. But I had to be explicitly taught repetitiously over time, over different versions of myself about the importance of education. And that's not happening. And I get it that there's this narrative of, oh, well, college isn't for you or this isn't for you and da, 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 da. But that narrative is mainly told to um, impoverished people, people who don't have a lot of money or to black indigenous students of color. So when you look at the disparity of who is being told what, it's kind of like, hmm, this is interesting. So not as many people are investing in their education. But, well, the irony is that in order to make a livable wage or not even like, you know, like, like beyond a livable wage, like that's the true value. You need to have that education. Even if it's in associates, that gives you a step up. Minimum wage in Connecticut is $15 as of 2022 or 2023. Um, and that's great, but that's still not livable. It really isn't because we're, um, Connecticut is one of the top 10 states out of the entire United States that has the highest taxes and um, is one of the highest places like where everything's super expensive to live, you know? Yeah, so for that's sure. something that people don't like take into account. And, and when people are like, oh, well, you know, like I don't want to go to college. And I'm like, that's fine. You can go into the working world, but you're going to struggle to be able to pay rent, to buy groceries, to do like to live life the way that you want to. And yet here in our public education system, we're not teaching the next generation. This is why you go to college. This is why even if it's community college, that's fine. Like, you know, there are a lot of programs too where it's like you get your first two years free. Like that, that's like asinine when I think about it. It's like you get your first two years free in a lot of urban schools. And students either aren't aware of it or aren't taking advantage of it, or I don't care. I want to become a YouTube influencer because look at what they're doing. And that's one of the hardest jobs because you're a social entrepreneur and there's a lot of business and relationships and finance. There's like all this stuff behind it, but they don't see that. They just see like, oh, the likes and the money. Wow, I want to do that. So I think we really need to have our next generation invest in education. And education uh, is not just the standard, oh, I go to school. It's, it can also be online platforms. It can be going to community events. So the learning environment is, is really expanded to where you learn. And it can be in a lot of ways, whether it's going abroad, whether it's from family or friends or even media and TV shows. Um, there's a lot of different ways that people can learn. Um, so just continuing to, um, like continuing to have students invest in themselves and value their education. That's the key part is people aren't valuing it because, oh, it's not popular or this or that. But then 10 years later, oh, I have to go back to school. And it's just kind of like, wait, you graduated high school 10 years ago and you're doing all this stuff and you basically like floundered for a bit and now you're going back. 
and it's just it's like things like that it's like we could have avoided this but that's the, i'll just stop there no i i've i definitely think that is for the from the most part that is definitely the case i've talked about there's a huge like cultural a perception that is very flawed currently in uh in these areas um but i'm curious about your your question uh your answer to this so there are parents and there are students even in these impoverished areas we know that there's a lot of examples throughout uh throughout society that that do want to go to school that do want to go to college that do want the best for their kids now there are programs put in place some of them uh in certain states uh one example is like uh you can get a tax credit to put uh your kid in private school another thing is in texas in terms of the funding that technically goes to schools from your taxes, you there's potentially, I don't know how official this is going to be. I know there's a proposal out for it right now. Um, but reclaiming that money and utilizing that money to put your kid in a charter school instead will be an option. So the alternative for some of these areas would be, okay, I don't want my kid in this public education system, but I want them to succeed. I'd rather them be in a private and charter school instead. So what do you say to those people who kind of abandon the public education system to make sure that they're going to these program these institutions with the good teachers, with the small classrooms, with the challenging curriculums, with the projects help helping um character growth stuff like that so what do you say to those people who are doing that and do you think that is kind of the better solution now at, um, at this point i think and i've had to talk with some people recently about this so it's a great question of i think my response is that's great if you can afford it because when you look at private and charter schools the amount of money each year for the tuition and all of those things it's like it's it's really it's a lot it's like if you are from a single income household or if you're from a low income, unless you're on scholarship, like, like how are, how are you going to get to that avenue of better education without money? And that's purpose. That's very purposeful, too, because they actually have some many private and charter schools have accountability um, papers where like parents and students are held accountable. So like if you have too many instances of behavior or academic problems, they kick you out. It's just like, that's just that, that's just that. We can't do that in public education, but people don't realize that. So when there's, there's families like, oh, I'm gonna go here or there. And I'm like, one, be prepared for culture shock. Two, be prepared that it's gonna be a lot of money, like a lot more than you think. And then three, can you withstand the cultural shift and the academic shift? Because the academic pressure in private and charter schools is very different than public schools. And that is kind of great, but also it can add new, like newer nuances. Like let's say you come from public education and like all of a sudden you get put in this environment. It's like, I went from not caring about my education to now everyone around me is like, they eat, sleep and breathe it for breakfast. Like they're going for like, like, like to the like academic Olympics, like, you know? So that's the thing that's really interesting to me is it's like, great. Like, honestly, you have more resources because there's more money being put into it. There's class sizes. There's like all sorts of great things. But again, there's like, there's that caveat. And there's also a caveat that like with a lot of private and charter schools, again, it depends on the area and the institution that you're going to face a lot of racism, a lot of xenophobia, a lot of sexism, a lot of those things that people won't talk about and that you'll just dismiss. 
So that's going to be another form of trauma that you're going to kind of have to either think about or you're just going to jump into and be like, I didn't know that I was swimming with the sharks. So there's that parallel between the public and the private in that regard. So that's kind of what I'm thinking about there. And there's also mis and disinformation. Misinformation and disinformation largely stem from like, oh, well, you think one thing's super better and all this stuff. And if you do the research and you're not doing the research from credible sources, you're going to have a rude awakening when you come and like, yeah, I'm going to go do this. And I was like, uh, wait, that this is nothing like what I thought. And you see this, whether it's with political elections and with education, especially with education, whether it's with public private or charter like you might be promised or said for one thing and then the whole thing is implemented and done another way so that's where you have to be an educated consumer learning like how do i find a credible source how do i vet this person or this institution how can i find actual credible forms of feedback from people who look like me from people who don't look like me how how can how will i be able to navigate those financial burdens does like some institutions won't even offer financial aid because they're like oh if if you uh, need financial aid like we don't need you and that's the response i've i've seen that happen because let me tell you it's happened i've tried to like apply and i'm like wow i'm so not going here but it's things like that that people don't see up front understandable um however i won't say this that i think a lot of the things you said definitely in terms of like the live breathe education achievement it being very strenuous i mean for the most part that's what education is supposed to be i mean education is not supposed to be easy it's supposed to be strenuous in order for you uh to be challenged to grow in your intelligence it's supposed to be difficult um in terms of the social and cultural uh shock i definitely think that's definitely going to be a shock but one of the things you could say is obviously like you said you could do research to make sure your kid goes to a school that's cultural diverse or if you want them to be in a specific more cultural or uh ethnic school ethnically black ethnically white ethnically hispanic you just send them to that school for example if you if that's really what you want it's everybody else's personal preference it doesn't really matter to me but in a lot of those situations even in public education you you'll get a lot of that anyway uh, there's a lot of bullying in public education and a lot of different reasons and like you said even the teachers get bullied and they, they can't even do anything about it so a lot of the issue there's always going to be there's nothing perfect there's always going to be issues for example one thing that you did say that is very true is paying for the schools especially for these impoverished areas it's going to be tough to do so so if they did create a program that is sure it's going to be still relatively tough but at the very least feasible for your kid as long as they do well in school and do not like waste the education system's time and they create a program that's feasible for uh, you know, people who are in the uh, lower income and to at the very least put their kid in that education system, um, would you be okay with that if they, uh, if it's at least feasible? Not like I'm just going to give it to you, but at least feasible to a certain extent. Again, I think it depends because like even when you were saying waste of time, but like whose time? The the schools or the yes. families? And at the end of the day, well, it's both. kind of like, you know, yeah, exactly. It's kind of, it's kind of, is it both? Is it one or the other? And then when you look at feasibility, it, again, it depends on your location. Like when you're saying like, um, oh, you can just go to another school. It's like, not in my state, like every, like all the private charter schools. I don't know if you take a look, 
there's not one that is primarily Latinx, Latinine, or Black Indigenous people of color dominated unless you look at the old historic charter schools, which are now put on um, like for museum for when they um, were colonizing the Indigenous people of our land. So when I look at it, that's the only way I kind of slightly agree. I'm like, you would have to move states to find someone or find an institution that actually like better represents yourself. And the closest one is by the New York border. And it's like, do you really want to like move halfway all the like or nearly all the way across like to, to the other side of Connecticut for a better education? And to be honest, like I can't answer that question. That depends on the family. Some families are like, yes, that is worth it. And there's other families where they're like, no, what are some other options? And the one that we haven't talked about is magnet. And the magnet schools are a, a unique solution because it's like in the middle of a charter and private school and also a public school. It's like sandwiched right here in the middle. So some of them, again, like depending on the state, some of them are really great. And again, like across all school types and all grade levels, yeah, there'll be bullying and mental health issues and all that kind of stuff. But at the end of the day, are you in a community where you can feel supported, where you can be seen, where you feel like, oh, I am represented not just with my identity, but ideologically, academically, emotionally, will I be able to have people who will help support me in my growth? It, they say it takes a village. That's an anonymous quote, takes a village to raise a child, but what village are you gonna put yourself in? Or do you even get to choose your village or who you surround yourself with within the towns? And that's one of the, the challenging parts within the urban um, school districts. I know, especially within Connecticut, it's kind of like, how can you balance everything when everything's so close and with the funding and and how um some people who have access to the funding aren't spending it equitably and some people are and then there's like all these different nuances and then the gang violence and how does that play into the whole narrative of inequality in education because that's a big factor is, is violence whether it's at home on the streets right outside of the school which has happened before where it's like huh like, well, how does this impact the way we learn? And how does that literally and neurologically and cognitively changes the way you understand yourself and in and like intake information? People don't realize like that's what trauma and grief and these heavy emotions do. And yet people don't talk about it. And that's that's also a part of the inequality narrative. Okay. So I think there's a lot of interesting things that have said so far in terms of schools. I think private school is a very interesting solution. Charter school is a very interesting solution, in addition to magnet schools. All of them have uh, very interesting uh, solutions for people. But at the end of the day, we got to focus on what's realistic. Um, but they were just proposals for a lot of people. But what's more realistic at the end of the day for like these uh, impoverished areas is sending them to these huge public schools with a lot of students and um, with these teachers, of course. So and the more big classrooms and all that stuff, right? So that's just the most realistic solution. So in general, um, I want to ask this before I ask my follow up question because. Um, what do you have what are the some positives in terms of current public education system that you think should be mentioned uh for these more impoverished areas we're not focused on the suburban areas but more these urban areas rural i know you said rural is like in a more unfortunate situation but they're also harder to deal with because they have the less way less amount of people it's scattered around and for the most part giving funding to a school that's 
incredibly tiny it's always going to be a hard hard buy it's like okay can you give me this school like oh they barely have any people it's like but compared to this urban school has a lot of people it's like okay can you give them this it's like probably but that and then the dynamics of doing it properly and all that stuff so rural schools are hard to figure out because it's just these smaller areas creating education of course they're gonna have um worse resources but it's just harder to kind of figure out a solution for those urbans i think urban areas i think needs to be focused on more so purely because of the amount of people i think that's the the biggest difference because the amount of people that is affected in comparison um but i don't think i'm not saying rural areas do not need help i'm just saying they're harder to figure out a solution for because of the amount of people that's actually affected so in terms of these uh uh, public education for these urban areas. What do you think? Is there any positives that you would want that you can say in terms of uh, public education for these impoverished urban areas? Yeah, I think some of the positives include um, having more social emotional learning curriculum, which really focuses on understanding how to process emotions. Also, more on diversity and inclusion. Like I remember, I taught a pre-K class about like you know. Uh, different like and, and like understanding race and they loved it it was wonderful and they were like three and four and I was like I had some great conversations you should talk to a three or four year old about like race sometimes it's like it's like it's it's like mind opening it's it's so cool to see like their understanding and cognitively and scientifically they like children who are three and four already have a, a sense of identity sure it's not fully done yet but they already have their sense of gender and race by the time they're three and four um, so that's something that people don't realize um, that the, the world around them impacts that. And specifically within um, urban schools, I know that, yes, there is more people, but I also think a lot of the issues um, um, and the positives um, with urban schools is that there are teachers who care that the curriculum is changing. So people are starting to learn the real history of the United States of America. People are starting to have complicated conversations about like about growing from the inside out that's one of the best things in public education is that um more of that is happening is um the curriculum 1619 um is is out where the like it really dives deep into telling the real story of american history because i don't know about you in public education they used to just be like colonialism it was bad here's a bunch of white people and then like they just be like oh yeah the black people poor them and moving on 1800s and it's just kind of like is that really all that happened? Like, you're not gonna talk about like the, like everything else that happened from the slave side, the political side, the social side. So I think that that's a big win for public education. And there's actually a lot of um, Southern groups right now that are fighting against that saying like, no, we need to keep the history books the way that we had it before, which I can understand that. But at the same time, then how are we gonna teach this next generation to invest, to invest in their education and the truth to, to invest in understanding themselves holistically without knowing and committing the past because I am the result of my roots, of my family's roots, of my ancestry. We have to understand that even if it's uncomfortable, it's getting comfortable with being uncomfortable and then learning from it. That's where the learning happens is when, oh, I have a disagreement, but let me sit with it. Let me understand it and air it out. And that's going to become my new door to learning new things. So that, again, um, the emotional learning and the new curriculum developments have been great. Also, um, creative problem-based learning has been great. Um, I think that would be a best solution for public education is to restructure it so that a lot of the students are 
getting to learn more through play so that they're they're getting to to understand these concepts of hands-on experiences with um, writing with reading with drawing with getting that creativity with math and science and social studies and emotions like that's where that's where that that happens so i think a lot more creative um, problem-based learning could happen but i also am grateful for the creativity that's coming the pandemic if anything taught us to take a step back and get creative and something public education is doing very well is taking technology to the next level it's it's having students who now have access to more resources online that they can access at home at the library at school it's, it's creating new opportunities to understand information in a, in a wide variety of differentiated ways and that's what we have to do as educators you differentiate the information across different learning levels and abilities so that's another highlight and then finally, um, the last one, which is positive um, behavior intervention systems within public education or PBIS for short. And this um, system really enforces um, positive behavior by focusing on the positive instead of the negative. So really like rewarding students. Wow, like you're, you're, you got your work done on time. You're treating others kindly, explicitly teaching kindness and rewarding them. You were nice to another person. Why don't we celebrate that? Celebrate the small moments, the joy of, wow, I answered these problems and I didn't get one wrong, or, oh, I got one wrong and I learned from it. That's great. So really um, so really focusing on that positive. And sometimes it can be hard, but, but that, that has really helped like as like across the school climate and culture that has really helped um, make a tremendous difference. So those are just a couple that I'll highlight. Yeah, it definitely sounds, um very good for the most part from a bit how you kind of um kind of stating it right um a lot of interesting ideas is coming from it so one the next question i want to ask is i want to separate two things again and obviously it would be the students the parents and the cultural mindset of education public education versus the institution itself the teachers and the administration what do you think needs to be changed first do you think that the mindset of education the willingness to go to education and better yourself and take it seriously and respect your teachers should be the first thing to change or do you think the institution in terms of funding uh the teachers better getting more teachers and better curriculum needs to change first what do you think should be changed first and one thing i also want to add because it makes it very interesting that obviously they both need to be hand in hand right but it's when you're coming up with a solution you got to take things by per step and figure out which should be the first domino to fall and it's really hard to say as of right now because if you compare it to like china for example or someone that's a lot less kind of communistic a lot of these systems have students who care and very efficient education systems because the efficient education system is going to better the students and the students who care is going to uh, propel the education system to continue to decrease upon itself. So based on your personal opinion, there's really no right answer. What do you think should be changing first? Um, I think um, first, it's a great question. And second, I think that uh, socially, we need to social, socially and culturally, we need to change first. Because you can have all the money in the world and it could make no difference. You can have all the money in the world. And if you if you don't have that mindset or if you do not choose change, if you do not choose, I want to do this differently, then it doesn't matter. 
So a part of me is like institutionally, like schools are trying to change, which is great. And then you get parents and students who are pushing back, which cool, I respect that. But then how are we supposed to move forward? I think it really needs to come from society because education, once you're done with your education, you go off into society, you use your skills, whether you're aware of it or not. And a lot of it has to come from society saying, no, we want to be better, whether it is socially or culturally um, or academically, we need to start to think about like the implication, the consequence of not caring about education is that now you have a bunch of people in society who either don't know how to work or aren't skilled or who, who want to work, but then aren't qualified, or you get stuck with not knowing how to manage your money or not knowing how to, to interact peacefully with people and getting arrested and, and things like that. It's like, it's really understanding the importance of it. So that's why a part of me feels like it initially needs to be um, like addressed socially and culturally. And then institutionally it can be addressed because then you can put the money where the mouth is. It's like, oh, the people want this. Like now I can start to put the money where the mouth is to create that change that they are looking for. So that's, that's where I'm kind of coming from. And a lot of institutions are already moving that way, but are the people ready? And that depends on each society and each um, town and each state and stuff like that. Because let me tell you, in Connecticut, there are some towns and cities, we are ready for that change. Um, and that's been great for urban and suburban schools. For rural, it's taking a while. Like I know, like you were saying before, that yes, it's very hard to identify an issue. They've even consolidated the schools so that there's like a couple hundred. So now you have an actual population, but it's like, how do we address these people that are often forgotten? You know, so when I think about the solution across the different types, it's very interesting. Um, but having an open choice schools, I don't know if you've heard of that, um, but having open choice where people can choose to go to the school that is within their district or to schools outside of their district have been very helpful. So some urban students will actually leave their district in, in their urban setting and go to a suburban or rural school because their needs will be better met at those schools. Which again, it's messed up because it doesn't really solve the issue in the urban setting. But for some families, that has made a tremendous impact on students being able to better their own education, to choose to choose their education and be like, wow, like I can now set a different path for my future. So that's just kind of where I'm at. It, again, like you were saying, it's a balancing act. But at the same time, it's, it's a lot of work. And people, I don't think, are ready for the work. Um, I know personally, I like to work hard and like, you know, make sure I put my heart and soul into it, but not everyone's ready to put in the work. And that's a big part of it is we need people who will be like the soldiers who will be able to contribute towards this change, whether it's on a policy side, whether it's on the school side for parent teacher meetings, the PTOs, whether it is um, talking with teachers and having that advocacy. So there's a lot of different fronts, but then focusing on one. So that's why when I'm with some of my groups, I like to focus on education and sure it's broad, but I'm focusing on the one in my town and that's the start. Yeah, that's a, that's an uh, excellent um, mindset to have. And you, for me, I, I agree. I, I think for the most part, it's very, very much a situation where it's like a mindset thing for a lot of these areas, because at the end of the day, we, there's so much things you can do. Like you said, you can be a part of the, your community, create programs that is 
even separate but a part of the public education to help better these students specifically in a lot of different ways. I've created a whole cut, like for example, I've created like a whole template of specific ways to better the individual because there's things in public education that's just not taught. For example, financial literacy, for example, in terms of general growth in terms of your mind, because I do think that they do not try to evolve your ideas enough. So there are things that the people can do in the communities, but it's a mindset thing. You can vote for specific public education bills that betters your system, your schools. And um, I didn't know about the open, what was it called? Open choice. Open choice program. I did not know about that, but I'm aware of um, aware of that premise because I think when I was in school, I knew people when we we're going to like middle school and high school that people went to different types of schools. Some people went to magnet schools. Some people went to a school in a different city. So I'm aware. I've been aware of that in general. So even stuff like that. So that's huge. So with that said, my follow up question is, how do we do that? How do we start changing the mindset of education? How do we incentivize these communities that education is very valuable and important? How do we change that? Yeah, and I think that's a great question. Uh, a lot of people need to start with themselves. It's starting by looking inwards. I know you were talking about that critical thinking. It's, it's having a conversation whether it's with your, your partner, whether it's with your guardian or your parent, whether it's with your friend or even just a stranger, like, you know, like it's having a conversation about what does it mean? Like, what are my values? Like, who am I? Starting to really deconstruct. And then what do you want to do about it? Because not enough people are kind of passionate about this inequality. Do we need to get more people involved? We need to think about, well, are people educated on this issue? Like when you look at certain things, it's just like not, not everyone's educated. Meeting people where they're at, starting that conversation in your community or grab a friend or join a group that's already starting it. That's where the change happens is by is by sitting with your feelings, by understanding it internally and externally as well. So I think that that's, that's like a good starting point and that can be said for a lot of issues, but a lot of it is get educated, is like do the research, learn a bit more. A lot of the stuff that I was saying is what we call evidence-based research. I can point to the exact author and the titles of like each of the points that I have. I have a whole like spreadsheet because this is my researcher brain. I have a whole matrix of different literature that like I've looked into. It's public literature too. Um, some of it's from Google Scholar, some of it's from the library, all this jazz and all that stuff. But I can pinpoint each part and say, this is who said it, this is how they did their study next. But it's making that accessible to people because I know I have the privilege of having a higher education and not everyone has that which that's fine but then how do we have these conversations where you make information accessible that's a part of the conversation is having as having conversations with people who have similar ideas different ideas you know thinking about people who are different politically or academically and then finding a common ground to connect because that's not happening enough that's part of the reason with mental health and with academia and understanding yourself and others better is that people need to establish that common ground and say, hey, like, this is who I am. Let's find our differences and then let's connect on our similarities and then understand who we are and where we're coming from. It's not just sympathy, which is like, oh, that must be so hard. It's empathy. It's I'm trying to empathize as much as possible with another person. 
So that's kind of where I would approach it, like from education wise. Um, but yeah. Yeah, I mean, for the most part, I, I think that's like excellent. But my, my thing about that is I think that only applies to people like yourself, very educated, very smart and willing to improve yourself. So we got to focus on the people that don't want to do that. The people who have the uh, the mindset that they don't want to improve, the parents that are not trying to improve their kids, a very dysfunctional home, these kids that are like too influenced by these social media entertainers that want to become YouTubers, even though they have no skills for it because they don't know what they're doing. These, uh, even these situations where it's very dangerous for all these kids. We've, you mentioned gang violence, for example. So how should we kind of incentivize these people? Because these are the people that need the help. Is it the government getting involved? Is it the people in the community getting incentivized to get involved? What is the solution for, for those people? Yeah, I think the solution really kind of comes from um, them, the, these people seeing others with social power. That's what we call it, the influencers, all that stuff. Um, these people have social power. So sure, the celebrities and people could post about the importance of it. But at the end of the day, it still comes down to the individual. And sure, there are people like me who are willing to have those conversations. And then there are people who are unwilling. But I can't force you to change. That has to come from you. And if you don't ready now you know what i do i'm gonna plant some seeds i'm gonna plant these nuggets of knowledge i'm gonna plant you know what i know and when i have conversations with people um a lot of different people with me i meet them where they're at i don't talk all like proofy like education language i meet them where they're at using language that's accessible to them and then we go from there and then maybe someone else will converse change takes time i can't just snap my finger and be like and we're there this is going to take hundreds of years. It took us hundreds of years to get into this, and it's going to take us hundreds of years out. So to me, I think for those people, it's planting those nuggets of knowledge, those little seeds. And yes, some of them won't grow, but that's okay because we can keep planting them. And you're going to keep planting them because someday one of them is going to grow, and that's where the change happens. But it's being patient because, you know, um, I, I might have planted a seed 10 years ago, and all of a sudden, it's a late bloomer. It just finally grew. But I have to be okay with that and say, I'm not going to force that to grow. I will give it water. I will give it soil. I will give it all these different things. And same thing with people. I can give them all the knowledge. I can do every single thing I can in my capacity. I could, you know, link them to resources and all sorts of other people. And if they don't want to change, they're not. But I can start to plant those little seeds mentally. I can start to plant those seeds educationally so that maybe someday they will reach they will reach that destination. And you know, not everyone's going to change. And that's okay. We're just going to have to keep living and learning in life together. And that's and that's just at the end of the day, that's just that's life. I wish I could change everyone, but at the same time that's not the way it's made. We're going to continue to have this discourse. I'm going to continue to disagree with people, but I learn from it every time. Every time I'm like, "Ooh, thank you." Like I learned a bit about myself. I learned a bit about you. I don't know if you're understanding it this way but I'm willing to walk this path together. Even if it's for like, you know, half an hour or an hour or whatever time, we, our paths cross. We got to know each other in some capacity, whether we agree, disagree, whatever, that's fine. We got to, we got to have that point and plant seeds with each other. Sure, there might be some that are more positive than others, but again, that this is a part of the journey. Like some gardens die and th that happens because then it creates better soil. Some of it's toxic. Well, I got to learn how to make it better, you know, and a lot of this is a part of the learning experience. There's no, like you were saying, there's no right or wrong to it. It's just, 
this is this is how we live learn and grow literally and metaphorically very true so i want to build on that i want to build on that uh the thing that you were talking about because i just thought of it just now so what do you say about this right so for people like yourself um for the most part humans in general this is not in relation to you right now i mean humans in general they need incentive to do stuff you know it just is what it is not not everybody has the pure heart to want to do things just because it's the good thing to do they need incentive even if it's slight it's just some type of incentive to do stuff it's a huge motivator so what are you what would you say about like these uh the uh system put in place whether it will be given college credit scholarship or even just an hourly wage creating a position of for students that are willing to be successful in these public education system and set them up as mentors i know in my public education system there is a mentor program but it wasn't really incentivized the counselor reached out to me and was like you want to be a mentor and i just say sure I didn't really get anything out of it. I just said it sure because I was like, I wasn't really doing anything in school anyway. I stopped playing sports for my last year of college. I was like, whatever. So I did it. But what if there's more incentive to increase the aspect of mentoring programs? Not everybody's doing sports. Not everybody is doing band or chorus or whatever. But if they have the incentive to get college credit, scholarship, or an hourly wage, then that would be huge. And we create this mentor program for people like them because there will be other students and have people like yourself that would be willing to mentor maybe three or four younger individuals that are having it uh, tough. Let's say they just, they don't really care about education, but create an atmosphere every now and then where they can speak with their mentor and learn from their mentor. And the seeds that you were mentioning can start getting planted because they're speaking to a peer. And we know the school hierarchy. Freshmen are going to listen to the senior. They just, they, they just are. You know, so what do you think about a program like that that is mandated like the like to inst introduced to like all public education systems and it's something like that could start to help incentivizing these younger individuals to care about education more what do you think about that solution again i think it depends on the districts because i think yeah like you were saying there's a lot of benefits but my main cons have to do with the power dynamics because i've seen some of these programs implemented where you're now if you mandate it they might some people might have predatory intentions they might have racist intentions and it creates a dynamic where it is hostile and violent. So that's my only kind of con to it. But again, it depends on the environment. It depends on the school, on the town and all that jazz. So I think like, ide like idealistically, I think it, it would work for some, but I think there needs to be a lot of guidance and support from teachers, from support staff, from parents. There needs to be a buy-in. It's not just an incentive to be an incentive. There needs to be an actual buy-in socially and culturally. If there is not buy-in socially and culturally, you can do all the planning in the world and no one's gonna really like want to do it. It'll be a tool used um, for whatever other intentions people have. So that's kind of my only caveat um, with that. I think a big solution that I have for a lot of public schools is offering more trade skills because right now the in public schools, there aren't many tracks where people can have that hands-on learning and say, oh, let me explore a trade that I'm interested in, whether it is within the arts, whether it's like automobiles, whether it's like woodwork and craftsmanship, 
Um, that's something that I think public education could do a lot better at is say, hey, maybe you don't want to go to college. That's fine, but maybe try some of these trade skills so that when you get out of college, you'll have a decent paying job. And here, why don't we teach some finance courses as well? Because the finances sector and offering that as a trade as well. So I think that that might be a better contemporary solution within public education, in addition to the mentorship program. Because then if you have a mentor within the trade, that is hands-on skills there. It's someone directly teaching you the skills. And sure, you still might have those issues, but hey, I'd rather learn from my peer than my teacher. And oh, look, I can, I now they're modeling the behavior of what I can can now become, which is great. So I think that it would it would need to be radical change because the public schools and the public system would need a lot of buy-in, especially with the, the with the trade element because some some schools have the ability and resources to already offer that, and some of them don't. But it's being able to um, fund that and then um, fund teachers and the students to be able to pursue um, some of their passions. Okay, fair enough. I would say for the most part, in terms of the trade stuff, that trade is definitely something that another thing that I do think that should be incentivized more because there's a lot of skills that can be taught that should be something that everybody has the should be introduced to at the very least. So I think I agree that trade is very important. How they implement it and whether or not these kids will care will be another question, but I do think it should be implemented in all schools um, in terms of art. I don't know, like for my schools it was, but I don't know about these other schools. If so, if they're not, they definitely should be, right? In terms of the, the mentoring thing, the last thing I'll say about it is I do think for the most part they need to be chosen carefully in terms of the individuals we can't just give it to anybody to be a mentor because not everybody's qualified to be a mentor it might be a scumbag like you said there needs there obviously should be ways to mitigate risk and obviously it should be in a controlled environment anytime these students are meeting with the other students so it shouldn't be like you're going to their house and doing whatever it should be in a controlled environment in the institution itself and there's plenty of time throughout like for example if it's a senior i'm sure there's one class that he doesn't have class so he comes and he or she does whatever um, in terms of setting up a meeting inside the institution. Um, but I, obviously, it's a general idea. Both are general ideas that should be fine-tuned to make sure that they are the pros and cons weigh appropriately and the outcome has at least benefit. Because in the mentoring stuff, there's an incentive. Will the incentive of credit, scholarship, or uh, hourly wage outweigh any potential negatives and for the trade would the incentive of implementing trade in these schools outweigh these students not caring and not doing anything with these classes in the first place so there's a lot of factors that need to go into it so i think for the most part though the initial idea um even in kind of combining them has a lot of value so um that's that's all I got for today. I think we touched upon a lot of very interesting information in terms of education and equality and touch upon a lot of more specific ideas in terms of the problems with education and equality today. And there's even bigger discussions to be made in terms of cultural mindset, social mindset, and even in these areas beyond education and equality that I think should definitely be discussed about. Um, any final words for yourself? Uh, no, I appreciate you having me. I just, I mean, stay educated. And if you're not sure, um, lean into your community. Um, start to look into things where it's like, wow, I don't know much about this. Why don't I get educated and see what your community has? Because there are a lot of mentorship programs, even from like 
um, adults to um, youth and youth to youth. So see what your community has for educational resources. How can you volunteer or get involved? Can you help sponsor or support other students? So um, I just thank you for having me. I always like having a great conversation. All right. It's excellent. And before we wrap up, something that I, I like to do, because I have a lot of uh questions very abstract questions very big thought questions so i just want your quick answer you don't have to go in depth with it because these questions are conversations so just your quick thoughts for it so my question i'm gonna ask you that's on my top of my list that i have these are things that i think about myself but uh, you know i might as well ask the uh someone else as well so in terms of uh your initial thoughts about this question are human instincts and human emotions the same thing? Kind of, but depends on the context. That's the shortest I can keep it. Mm, interesting, interesting. Um, yeah, it's something to think about. I, like I said, it's a whole conversation. I had a conversation with yes, so, someone is. before, and human instinct and human emotions there's a conversation there and and there's something even deeper there to dive into so that's all we got today um do you want to plug anything anything else before we wrap it up yeah if you'd like to follow some of the groups that i'm a part of i'm a part of the national black cooperative you can find us on um, instagram we do a lot of live posts we also have a podcast that we've been adding on to where we kind of have very similar conversations like this except we um, fine tune them towards um, a lot of contemporary issues that you might see on the news. Um, and there are a lot of um, different presentations of information. The Town of Windsor Human Relations Commission that I'm a part of, we're hosting our conversation series online. So we're having community conversations on different issues like this, like education and, and things like that. Our next, um, uh, our next event is on November 19th, which is a Saturday. And it'll be held virtually from 1 to 3 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. So if you'd like, you can check out um, our upcoming event. And you can find us at the Town of uh, Windsor Human Relations Commission online. So you can find all of our different conversations from 2020 all the way up to present, where we, we do a deep dive and all sorts of um, different things. All right, excellent. So with that said, hope you guys enjoyed. Appreciate you coming on, Costella. A great conversation, of course. A very interesting solutions and discussions that was had here. Y'all have a good one. Rated five stars on Apple and Spotify. Take care and peace.